Welcome to Get On The Mend from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy. So with evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers, take charge of your health. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Christopher Townsend. He is an assistant professor in the School of Health Professions Department of Clinical Counseling and Mental Health. 2020 has been one of the most unpredictable years in recent memory. One of the groups most vulnerable to all the stress are those in recovery. In this episode, Dr. Townsend tells us what those in recovery can do to stay in recovery and what the rest of us can do to help and support them. Dr. Chris Townsend, thank you so much for coming on Get on the Mend. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at TTUHSC. Well, I um, am from North Carolina and I was recruited here after finishing my PhD from North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University there in Greensboro, North Carolina. I came, physically moved here in January of 2018 to work in the uh, clinical counseling and mental health department. And I work within the Masters of Science and Addiction Counseling. So I'm a a faculty member at Texas Tech Health Sciences Center. I was trained, I have a master's degree in community counseling, specializing in addictions and trauma work. And so I've been a counselor for over 20 years now. So I'm a clinician at heart, recently becoming an educator. Although I've been doing uh, trainings and things nationally and internationally on various mental health topics. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Because of the pandemic, most, I think it's safe to say that most people have been very stressed, have feeling a lot of stress, some more than others, I think. What does that do to someone in recovery? Oh, man. Um, in conversations with peers who are clinicians, I think isolation has come up and it's dangerous for persons uh, with a chemical dependency. It's the secrecy that many people uh, find themselves engaging in their use. For those who are motivated by recovery, they're usually in the action and maintenance phases of their recovery. And so there is a, a plan, there is a routine that they have to make sure that they stay well COVID has disrupted those resources that many of those people use, those resources and supports that they depend on, like we depend on breathing, like the air that we breathe. They depend on those services, those routines that they have that help them move into wellness and maintain their recovery. So in many instances, uh, these supports are kind of life-sustaining, I guess you could say. Uh, to be able to go to uh, your treatment, to be able to go to your meetings, the fellowship, those people who can hold you accountable. All that became disrupted when COVID uh, happened and all that uncertainty and sense of uh, safety or security kind of became compromised. The theme throughout is throughout the pandemic is disruptive, like everything else. But when we're talking about people who are in recovery and it's a, I almost want to say synchronized process of the mechanics of it, things. One thing is depending upon another. 
And usually people go to treatment, they follow the treatment with in the same day, maybe back going to an AA or NA meeting, uh, meeting with their sponsors. So they have these sequence of events that help them account for their day and their time. And again, all of that's been disrupted. So can you try to explain a little more about regular times? You were talking about their, their sequence and their routine. In a regular time, what could someone in recovery do when they're, when they're feeling stressful? So what, when I talk about the sequencing and, or shall I say calendaring, uh, what we find particularly people new in their recovery, those are the ones that I'm really concerned about. Those who are new in recovery or those who are still yet ambivalent about recovery or, or abstinence. Those people have not become solidified yet in their skills to be able to refuse the using and they've not gotten set into a, a wellness pattern. So for those people, you know, it really became a disruption. Now, though, it's still tough for those who are a bit stronger and have a little bit more uh, longevity in their their recovery. Still tough for them, but they're so motivated that most of them, a lot of them, are able to maintain with, with some challenges still. So, but again, it's those people who are newer, and so what the day may look like. We do that in advance with a lot of these people in their treatment and their recovery, relapse prevention plans. We talk about literally what from eight o'clock to eight o'clock, what is your day looking like? What are you doing? How are you organizing your time? Because what we don't want is them to have lots of time, idle time, and we want to keep them busy and involved in doing meaningful things to them because what we're talking about is recovery. We're talking about a lifestyle change and to create, and, and we all are doing lifestyle changes these days for all the reasons, but as it relates to chemical dependency, we're talking about many of these people started abusing substances when they were in their teen years and development stops when you start abusing substances. And so new lives are created in recovery. And so that's why we have that type of structure for many of these people to help them figure out what life is for them and what it means for them. And it becomes deterrence from using, falling into the traps or triggers of using. So how can someone in recovery stay in recovery right now? People have been very resourceful, particularly with telecounseling, telehealth, being able to use those resources, most treatment providers have transitioned over. One of the barriers that we see are people with technology. Can they use technology to even be able to get onto their sessions? And you cannot control for their environment. So sometimes it's a little chaotic in their homes, perhaps, or it's hard to be focused in their homes. But yet we, we try to still make those efforts. And so there's not a lot of you know treatment, particularly in addictions work, there's lots of groups. And so because of COVID, we're not able to do those groups live, but we are able to do them through teleconferencing, telehealth, and, and hope that uh, we can link them with folk to support them with the technology pieces and walk them through it. But I think that is, you know, how we continue to help people is link them to those online AANA meetings and, and groups and treatments 
that's uh, created that platform to continue services. You know, and of course, we encourage family to be a part of treatment. It's not always, but we encourage family, uh, friends, whomever is important in the person's life to participate. So we would encourage them also to help, to be a part of the process and helping that person stay recovery by being sensitive to their patterns, what they're doing, their attitudes, their behaviors, because if any of that is off, we want that person to be, that family member to be someone who can hold them accountable and to remind them perhaps of their treatment plan goals, to remind them um, about what they committed to um, in the conversations that they've had. So just not as a badgering kind of thing, but really more as a support, someone that they can springboard thoughts and questions or concerns off of. It helps when the family and friends are a part of that treatment as well. So sometimes people who are close to a loved one in recovery won't see those signs or might just dismiss them. Right. And how can we still support, how can friends and family support people like that without it sounding accusatory or sounding like they're accusing of the person? Right, right, right. I think we have to hold them accountable as family members or friends. We don't want to become enablers, uh, those who will perpetuate the problem. So holding them accountable. And I think, you know, the conversation that can be had very early is when there, when there's a family member participating in the treatment is, how do you want me to be present in your life? How do you want me to be present in your recovery? So when tough times come, how do you want me to show up for you? What would be helpful? Now, that conversation probably should be had after they've gotten into recovery. Because if you have that conversation while they're still actively using, they're going to be like, don't badger me. Don't bug me. Don't tell me not to drink. Leave me alone. You know, just let me do what I want to do. I'll be all right. They're not in the right frame of mind in those times. But I'm talking about a person when they've gotten into treatment, they've had some time of abstinence and they're really motivated and they're trying. That family member can ask, how can I be present for you? How can I be helpful for you if I see you not being as well on a particular day? I see a mood change. I see you're agitated, irritable, or you're not on your schedule that you generally do. What would you like for me to do? How would you like for me to respond? Um, how would you like for me to advocate for you? So I think that's that's part of the work. That's part of the treatment. That's part of you building a relapse prevention plan or to have those, those things, those interventions in place beforehand. So a lot of this is done in the beginning phases. Now, if you did, don't have that, I'll say the family members still show up, still have those conversations, still encourage. Now, there's some research that would say that, um, and particularly in treatment, the more confrontive we are with those uh, who are abusing substances, the more likely they are to relapse and go back to some of those using behaviors. So confrontation is not the key, but I think through relationship, gentle confrontation is key. And an example of gentle confrontation is you said that you wanted to demonstrate to your family that you love them. How is going to the bar today um, showing your family that you love them? 
So it's confrontation in, in the sense of you're putting their goals back before them. You're reminding them gently about what they said that they wanted. And, and just continue to, to express love, but set boundaries as well. Maintain boundaries. That way you can avoid being an enabler. Earlier, you mentioned that isolation is a big problem for those in recovery. How can people keep from being isolated if that is what we're supposed to be doing? Right, right. I think we have to use wisdom and we still maintain, you know, the recommendations of the CDC with, you know, washing your hands, wearing masks, stand, you know, six feet away from people. And I think you can, for the most part, I would say, you know, still do the phone contacts with people, have conversations with people. And if you must see someone live, then you stay six feet apart and you wear your mask. And um, in some instances where I've had to meet with people, I don't do more than one or two people and we're six feet apart uh, with masks and generally in an outside area with it becoming cooler now, it's a little bit more difficult to do the outside thing. So we will still have to take those precautions. But I think with telephones, with FaceTiming, you use those resources to still make uh, those connections. And again, if you have to see someone, one or two people maybe uh, where you're you're speaking with them live, but still uh, maintaining the uh, CDC's uh, recommendations. Uh, what's happening to all of us is we're having to rediscover ourselves without our lifestyles that we've built of being able to go to restaurants and being able to uh, travel in the ways that we've traveled. We're having to spend more time with ourselves. And for some people, that's not a good thing because particularly when you've used substances, you've covered up those things that haunt you, so to speak, Uh, those traumas and those hurts, those pains. Drinking and drugging helped to suppress those things and not have to think about those things. So it became a social lubricant for many people. And when you're isolated and you're not using, then those memories, those things come up and become sometimes unbearable. So that's why the isolation is dangerous because when you're alone with depression and anxiety and things like that, it becomes very difficult and you do need people to help you kind of through those dark times to come out of that. So for us all, I think this is a time of rediscovering. I've been playing Candyland and I've been playing Monopoly. You can only watch so many movies. I've been drawing um, Jack Rocks, things that I did as a kid, learning how to play again. You know, in the face of life as it is now, I think there's a a new dance, a, a rediscovery, but that takes some effort. Families have to talk more now. And we have gotten away from that with technology. So it, it's rediscovering or for the first time discovering things that you've never done before. But we have to be mindful to do it and want to do something different and finding meaning in it. So my next goal is to do some painting, to be creative. So I think we all are going to have to do those type of things, particularly with this second wave that's coming through. There's no new movies that's coming out. Initially, perhaps we all watch Netflix and we all watch all the movies until our little hearts were content. But um, unless we're going to rewatch them, I think we're going to have to do some other things that we've not done before that may be personally meaningful. 
Well, do you have any suggestions or recommendations for getting started with that, starting something new, especially with all of the, I guess, anticipated anxiety and stressful times coming up with the election? We don't know that the election results will be done overnight. And then there's holidays and morning loved ones, morning jobs, morning, like you said, socializing. I mean, there's a lot coming up in the next few months. Right, right. You know, one of the things that happens to a lot of people during the year, it may not be a good season for a lot of people. Seasonally, they may become sad. They may be hesitant to visit family. And now we got to decide whether we want to visit family or not because of COVID. And decisions are going to have to be made, maybe to be home. And it may be a new tradition that has to get started this year. And so I think it's really about perspective for us all. And, and our goal, when I say perspective, I'm talking about the goal of how do we keep each other safe and keeping one another safe is a demonstration of love and care. And then if we're not going to be with those family members, then how do we create the moments for ourselves in our own homes and or with a very few select people while, while thinking about how to maintain the safety of even those smaller groups? And so one thing I probably will do in my home is maybe have a few people, but those few people will have to wear a mask and we will still have to social distance even in those environments. So we're talking about one or two people maybe. So if the person feels very uncomfortable being alone because of the holidays, then I think there still are some little things that you can do in that way of having some human contact, using precautions, but also... Um, Like right now, you know, find those little arts and crafts and those things. And again, you can begin to plan that now for those times. I've purchased a a wooden model car, for example. It's still in the box. Haven't opened it. Probably will not open it until that time comes. I have some coloring books uh, with crayons. I still have to buy some paints and things like that. Um, And I'm talking about like dollar store kinds of things, not nothing really expensive, but things that you can go get. And those Jack Rocks came from the dollar store, the bingo paddle and things that you can do with the kids, pictures that I don't have anything to do with, cutting those out, making the scrapbooks and things like that for your family. So there are things that we can do. We just got to go back. And again, it's perspective changing because I think a lot of us get fixated on what we can't do. We get stuck on the restriction of what we can't do, but there is other things that we can do. And that perspective change helps to release that feeling of being closed in and restricted and limited in in our lives. And to think about it's only for a short period that we might have to do this if we just can do it now by taking care of ourselves and those people around us. Do you have any resources or any suggestions for People not necessarily in recovery, but might they might just find themselves indulging a little bit more and whatever it is to cope with uh, the anxiety and stress. Yeah, yeah. I think being mindful and aware that you're drinking more, and like you may not have a a problem now, but being mindful that okay, I'm, I've had three drinks tonight. I had two or three last night. This is, and I'm trying to get back to the store now to re-up on my bottle or two of wine or whatever they're drinking. 
I think that becomes a substitute for something else, feeling bored, feeling stressed, and having that feel of space. And so some of the things I've been talking about is other ways to find joy and meaning and purpose. And it's distressing to do, to do those things. Again, this becomes for th- these folk who are doing it not because they have a disorder of sorts, but they're doing it just for social lubrication to take the edge off. You know, working out, if you have a garage, getting your mat out there in the garage. Again, this is just being creative, but forcing yourself to do those things versus having two glasses of wine, have one. And then, you know, prior to that, maybe you've worked out. Cartoons are wonderful ways <laughs> to de-stress because it takes you out of the space of, of worry and concern. So again, been mindful about your wellness. And, and that's what I've been telling everyone is being mindful, scheduling in your day to enjoy a time, a moment in that day. And many of us do not do that. And and I'll tell you this story real quickly. We all are too busy and we do too much and we generally don't have time for wellness. We don't have time for self-care. We don't have time to declutter the mind. I was riding through the mountains of North Carolina some years ago and I was just busy, just moving through the day. And I saw this woman stop and she cupped a flower and she actually bent down and smelled it. And, and you know the old adage, you know, stop and smell the flowers or smell the roses. Right. And I became envious of this woman because she slowed down her life long enough to smell the flowers. And it stuck with me all these years that not enough of us actually take enough time out of our waking hours to do something for ourselves. We work all day. We do a lot of things all day but we don't take enough time to even reflect on the day, to think about how we've grown, to think about what we want to do with our lives. And we lose the meaning of living in the day. And so then what we do is we try to lubricate, you know, with things to help us get to those relaxing places when there's really some things that we can do. Candles, if you have candles, fires are very therapeutic in the fireplace and you sit and you have 15 minutes to reflect on good things, be intentional about the positive things with intention and, and to give yourself credit for how well you're doing and what you're doing. Um, and if there's something that you want to improve on, then you set goals and you work on that goal weekly, move yourself forward in some way. So again, this is perspective. And I'm talking about the negative thoughts that we have that roll around in our heads that gets played out and being intentional not to allow those things have dominion or power in your life. Well, that's definitely something to think about. Is there anything else you would like to add? Just be good to yourself. Be intentional about being good to yourself. Simple things. Uh, we do not have to spend a lot of money to find meaning and to appreciate ourselves and those people around us. It's the time and it's the effort and it's slowing down enough to FaceTime has become a good tool if you have it. And even if you have an Android, most people have cell phones, you can call someone. If you have a laptop, there's ways that you can communicate. There's still, the post office still running, writing letters, all kinds of things. 
we just got to go back to some some things that we dropped because of technology. Go back to some of those ways, slow down enough to enjoy them. And, and I think we'll, we'll be better for it. So what you hear me say in some ways is while COVID is a horrific disease and it's caused a lot of chaos, but it also has given us an opportunity, if we take it, to improve ourselves because things have slowed down some in some ways and the demands are slowing down because of the nature of things shutting down. But it gives us an opportunity. Um, and instead of sitting and, and me being woe is me, I'm saying, let's sit and say, okay, how can I get better? Where can I get better? What am I doing with my life? What have I done with my life? And how can it be different? And I'm going to take advantage of, of this moment that when this COVID thing is over, I'll come out better. So attitude. Well, just one more clarification that I need yes. to ask you. And I, the internet was breaking up a little bit or there was a problem, but you mentioned that you were going back to something rocks and. Jack rocks. What is that? <laughs> Jack rocks are these little metal. It's, it's probably the size of a pedal. They're metal and you can spin them. Uh, it's like it's, it has an axis and it has four prongs coming out from them. And you throw them on the floor and you throw the ball up and the ball can only bounce once and you pick up one and you catch the ball and you go, now you throw the ball up again. Now you got to go two. And, okay. and it, you got to go all the way until you uh, pick up all the jack rocks and one bounce of the ball. Okay. I had never heard of them called that way. I've just, when I was little, they were just jacks. Jacks. So. <laughs> okay. okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so. Had that experience and had a ball. Now, typically the young ladies play with them. <laughs> I, as a man, enjoyed it as a young man. And it's still fun to do those things. Again, adults getting in contact with their childhood in terms of those pleasant childhood experiences. You know, have some fun in a, in a different way. And, and I'm hoping that some things I don't go back to that might have not been as productive um, in my life. So, so yes. Thank you very much for clarifying the Jack rocks, the Jack's rocks. <laughs> and that may be a North Carolina <laughs> there. <laughs> and thank you so much for coming on our podcast and giving us tips and suggestions and reminding us to be mindful in order to help, you know, stay sane during these upcoming months. Yes, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening to Get On Demand. If you like what you've heard, please feel free to share the podcast with your friends and family. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Get on the Mend is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center.